You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Jerry Brewer, a sports columnist here at The Post. Thanks for joining us today for our second installment of our new series, Leveling the Playing Field, featuring women in sports from athletes to coaches to executives. Joining me today is WNBA champion, former MVP, and president of the Women's National Basketball Players Association, Neka Agumake. Neka, welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, you've spoken before about double standards and stereotypes uh, within how people consume the sport. What are some of those double standards and what do you think people are watching when they tune in to watch women's basketball? That's a great question. I mean, there's um, there's a lot of stigmas and stereotypes that we navigate on a daily to the point where I try my best to really tune them all out. Um, but, you know, everyone thinks we don't make any money at all. People don't know that we play 12 months out of the season. Um, and that watching women's basketball is not exciting. Uh, those are all fallacies and things that I think are quickly becoming dispelled, um, especially as we see the push in following and visibility on the, the collegiate level. Um, and I think that people who watch the WNBA um, are watching good basketball. They're watching um, their favorite players coming from college. They're watching growth. You know, they want to be a part of this growth and this change. And so um, it's exciting to see new fans. It's it's obviously always reassuring to have fans that exist, um, but also people loving the game for what it is and not comparing it to the NBA. Yeah, let's talk about that a little deeper, Neka. You're talking to someone who appreciates all levels of basketball for what they are um, and, and appreciates the women's game just as much as the men for my own reasons. But what do you think are some of the pervasive differences between women's basketball and men's basketball and maybe what we should appreciate about the women's game? Yeah, well, I mean, like, firstly and foremost, the NBA is a men's league and the WNBA is a women's league. <laughs> um, and because of that, naturally, it'll be different. You know, men play more above the rim um, and we definitely kind of display more fundamental and skill underneath the rim. Now we're evolving to seeing players play above the rim as well. So that's kind of great to have like that foundational component of fundamentals and now mixing it with athleticism and skill. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, it's, it's the beauty of the game. I think celebrating those differences is what makes this WNBA what it is. It's what helps people enjoy it. And hopefully it's what brings new viewership. Um, I love playing in the WNBA. I love what I learn playing in the WNBA. And I, I love that it differentiates us. And um, also, too, I think if we're talking, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the game is also branding, partnership, platform. And in my opinion, I may be biased, but I really do think that women have the edge up on how we use our platforms and the influence that we have in using our platforms and being athletes with platforms. Neka, let's uh, talk about your sparks and this season. I mean, this is going to be, uh, I hate to date you here, but season number 12 for you. Oh, uh, since proud you of that number. 
<laughs> uh, I mean, it's incredible. What an incredible career you've had so far. Uh, this offseason, you took a little bit of a shave, took a little less money uh, so that uh, the Sparks could build a better team around you. Um, what do you think about that decision and, and the team you have right now? I mean, it's it's really how I regard um, playing here. You know, I it's it is an honor and a privilege to play in the WNBA and to play for the LA Sparks. And so um, I'm at a point in my career where I'm very proud to have had this longevity um, and I want to continue it and I want to continue it in greatness. And so this season it called for a different approach on how we could kind of formulate this team. So I'm, I'm happy that we were able to get good players in um, and, and even better people and to be competitive. Um, here playing in LA. So, um, you know, this the season in front of us is the only one that I'm really looking at right now. And however we got there, um, it's building trust, it's building it's building partnership and um ultimately success. Neka, you've used uh the words uh culturally relevant when you talk about the impact that you want your team to have. Uh, what did you mean by that? And uh how how does um you know, what you do on the court, uh, uh, translate off the court. Yeah, I mean, um, aside from just being in the WNBA, uh, we are in we are in a championship market. You know, Los Angeles has so much rich history um, as a sports city, as a championship city. The the legacy that permeates the city um, is amazing. And so that's what I mean when I talk about the relevance um, that we have in culture and ultimately in the WNBA as well. You know, we've seen a lot of success with how we kind of galvanize as um, players in a union and ultimately players in this league to do things bigger than what we're doing on the court. Um, and so, you know, I think that's all a part of it. That's something that we can't ignore um, because quite frankly, people are watching us, whether we're playing or advocating and, and also, you know, changing the game culturally, you know, really making trends and creating impact and influence. So the best way that we can do that in L.A. is to respect the history and then build off of that. Neka, as, as both a franchise player uh, and uh, the, the president of the Players Association, how do you balance those dual responsibilities? I think it's an everyday thing. Um, it, it in the beginning, I didn't actually understand what the role held. I knew that the president um, had a very significant role, but I think I tried my best to make it what suits my leadership style. And so I was very adamant on communication, a lot of listening. And so that's something that I kind of hang my hat on when um, I consider how I want to lead. Um, I want to lead and listen to empower others to have their space um, and their agency to talk. And so that is something that I use both as president and also as a teammate, as a captain. And so for me, that um, that's kind of how I always strike my balance. I try to make sure that if I don't know what to do, I'm asking questions. Um, if I have to make a decision, I'm consulting. And so communication is really um, the connector for how I wanna network and balance my role as both president and as a player. Did, did you sense uh, you were stepping into that leadership role at such a seminal moment in the sports history? 
Um, I did not realize that I was stepping into the role at um, such a pivotal point, but I did understand that me stepping into the role was major because we had a former president in you know, a Hall of Fame player, Tamika Catchings. And those are really big shoes to fill. And so I wanted to make sure that I respected what she, what she brought us um, and left us with and continue to carry that on and just be better for the women of this league. What What are some of the uh, promises and goals that, that you're most proud that you've been able to deliver on? And what work is left to be accomplished? Um, you know, I'm someone that I don't necessarily make promises. I just have goals and standards and you can, you can land above it. You can land below it, but either way, there's always opportunity to build towards something more. And so, um, one thing that I'm really happy about are the changes that we were able to make in the collective bargaining agreement. They're, they're probably the most changes we've ever experienced in a CBA. And, you know, whether it was protecting, you know, planning mothers and pregnant mothers, um, even something as simple as everyone getting their own hotel room on on road trips, you know, in, increasing the player experience and health and safety, which we still have a long way to go. Um, but using that as the launching pad, um, though all those changes that we were able to achieve to get to the true vision is what I'm most proud of. Now, I remember uh, NECA covering the, the changes to the CBA. Uh, everyone's really excited about the progress you made. Then pandemic, right? Um, and the last three years, uh, it, it's been an incredible time on multiple levels uh, for the sport, but, but, but also I think for, for women's basketball collegiately and at the pro level, stepping into its power. Uh, so where do you think you are in this process now um, in terms of, of reshaping identity? And then also being able to monetize uh, what's great about the game. Oh, man. I mean, you know, I don't think we ever really have like a set list of like goals. <laughs> but um, where we stand now is just being ready, always being ready, being educated, communicating to each other about what's going on, educating ourselves from those, you know, that we have the privilege of engaging with outside of the realms of our sport to get, to get a, a better understanding of our country, of this world, of society and culture, so that we can do whatever we can with what our platform offers to make change and advocate and to educate. And um, I'm very grateful for that. You know, we've been able to, um, we've been able to do some really big things just because we've come together and we have a common um, goal of just wanting to be better for each other. Um, and so I find that we're just now a group of people that are just ready. We're always ready. Uh, as this WNBA season uh, begins, you'll be a part of, I think, one of the most emotional and, and significant moments uh, in league history uh, as the Sparks and Mercury uh, play against each other and, and Brittany Griner makes her return. Uh, what, what has the past year been like for you? Um, as a friend, you know, and as a leader within the league, and and what's it? Can you even picture what it's going to be like uh, being on the court with her again? Yeah, you know, I've just uh, the past year was a lot. Um, the reality of hearing that news took a while to settle in, not just for me, but for a lot of players. Um, that's not something you ever want to hear happen, and. 
for me, I mean, I played in Russia for four seasons and immediately I just thought like that could have been me, you know, like that could have been any one of us. That was a very competitive market that offered wonderful livelihood and opportunity for players and um, coming to terms with that and now figuring out what we could do besides sit there and wait um, was imperative. And we had so much love and support um, and communication and organization to figure out how we could keep her name out there um, only to be so wonderfully surprised um, within a year to hear that she was coming back because I think that year mark is what people were fearing. And so it was really great to be able to hear that she was coming back. And in my opinion, I think it's even more remarkable that she's playing. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I've already had the pleasure of, you know, playing against her um, in a preseason game. And so to be able to play against her opening night is going to be very special. Uh, what, what did you say to her uh, before that preseason game or during it? Um, nothing much. Just gave her a nice, good Ogumake sister sandwich hug. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I, I was talking to Kia Nurse recently, and, and she talked about where she was when she heard uh, the news uh, that Brittany was free, and and she heard the heard the news, and and she was on a plane, and the plane was about to take off, and she didn't know if her excited text message had gotten through until she landed. Uh, what was that moment like when you heard the news? Yeah, I um I was in Miami shooting a Super Bowl commercial and so I got a I got a call I got a text early that morning and I mean it was really for me it was really like tears of joy just like a nice quiet reflection before my day got started just something to be very very grateful for. Neka, could you reflect on the discourse last year? Uh, when, when, when Brittany was being detained, do you think there was a gender issue and a race issue as part of that conversation? I mean, that's something, those are two things that we talk about every day because that's the composition of our league, mostly, um, you know, Black women. And so um, I think I would like to kind of consider it more when it comes to like equity. Both are, those are two topics that fully surround this idea around equity and and you know bg was over there because she was making a living just like any one of us would um but then also too the conversation around her priority is very reflective of what a lot of black women experience in the world and especially um in our country and so that that was something that we lived with every day um not just because it was bg but also because a lot of the a lot of us live with those realities every day and i really hope that that conversation doesn't die because she's come back what where do you and and some of your peers that you talk to stand on playing internationally after that incident people are definitely very wary i mean there's there's people that still go overseas but the markets are just dwindling now because of both the pandemic and then also bg's um, wrongful detainment so those opportunities are less, um, more players are coming out and more players are getting away from the WNBA. There's just not a lot of opportunity. And, um, you know, I don't like that players have to decide between life and death when it comes to making a living and pursuing their dreams. So I hope something changes very soon. And we're in that phase, NECA, obviously, as you know, of this prioritization. Um, and and uh, you know, making the WNBA the priority, even though 
you might make more money uh, overseas. Um, where do you stand on on that? I know it's a, a, an individual decision for for different players. And mm-hmm. can, can you foresee, let's say, in the next five or ten years, that being addressed in terms of enhancing the salaries once again? Yeah, I mean, I hope that enhancing the salaries takes way less than five. But <laughs> but uh, <laughs> when it comes to prioritization. I'm never going to knock a player that is seeking opportunity. Like I'm never, I'm never going to disagree with that. I guess like the way that I see it is there's a balance. So if we want to prioritize this league, we need more opportunities. We need more money. We need more roster spots. We need more resources and infrastructure. Or if that prioritization say, for example, in this CBA is kind of like a trial, a trial and error, then players can go play overseas, you know, and create a living that way or create a career that way. I, I, It's difficult because I don't think it's one or the other. It's about what works for each individual player. And right now we're seeing an influx. We're seeing high demand. Um, sorry, not a high demand. We're seeing a high influx of players and the demand is, it's not matching the amount of players that are seeking opportunities. So I really hate to see that. I say it all the time. There, There is a league of women training at home, and that has to change. Wow. Wow. That's very powerful to think about. I wanted to ask you one lighthearted question before I transition to more money issues in college and NIL. I got to ask you about uh, Shanae and, and you all playing again together. What do you think this season is, is going to be like? Um, and uh, I mean, do, do you foresee multiple seasons uh, in, in which you and Shanae may be on the court together? Yeah, I mean, right now, what this is, I think, the fourth season. I mean, third, if we're not counting the bubble, um, that I'm playing with my sis. So I'm very hopeful that we'll continue to play, um, really win with each other. And, um, you know, we kind of go with each other and we want to do great things together. So as as we get closer to those great things, we're going to continue. We're going to continue to play together. I'm wondering, growing up, I mean, you all uh, have become such prominent voices for different reasons, right? You know, you within uh, the leadership of the league, uh, Shanae is just a a wonderful television analyst who can analyze any level of the game. Uh, Is is this where you pictured uh, you all would be in high school at Stanford? Uh, And and, and what do you think about uh, Shanae as a basketball analyst? Um, I think she's the best. No question about that. <laughs> um, but I can't say that. It re- I really envision like, okay, Shanae's going to be commentating ESPN, you know, cause she's going to be a sports commentator. I didn't envision being president, but now, you know, hindsight is kind of 2020. We were certainly gravitating towards these paths. And I think it's lovely to see that these roles kind of found us through opportunity and also through um, kind of nurturing our own um, disciplines. And it's really beautiful. I'm, I'm excited that our careers have taken, um, you know, these avenues. And then also for us to be able to come together, especially on the same team, to share in our success, but then also grow together with our, with our different expertises. And that, I got a real kick when I was mentioning five or 10 years about enhanced uh, <laughs> calorie. Like, Wait a minute, five years, start doing the math. <laughs> Uh, how about like a year or two? Uh, so you can get some right. of that money. Um, that's just 
segue to talk about uh, NIL, name, image, and likeness, which is all the rave in college sports. And if you believe some of the numbers, uh, there are some elite players uh, really, you know, really profiting off of that um, uh, as, as the women's college basketball uh, just grows in, in relevance. Um, I'm wondering, uh, let me ask, uh, first of all, if the Agumake sisters were playing in an NIL era, what do you think you all would have been able to uh, command? And what do you think overall about, um, you know, how the dynamics of, 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 of power and, and the ability to profit um, off of your play has changed college athletics? Yeah. Um, I don't know how much we would have been able to demand, but I probably wouldn't have had to make the, de- make the decision between eating and filling up my car. <laughs> but uh, but um, I love the opportunity that a lot of these players are getting. Quite frankly, I'm not really jealous of it because I don't know how these athletes manage NIL performing at a high level and getting good marks, you know, in school. But I I love any opportunity for athletes to capitalize on their natural talents. You know, you're good and you worked hard at it. And so for you to be able to benefit from the fruits of that labor, labor, I think is great. Now, I will say that we kind of went from zero to 100. So right now there was no NIL and now that's all there is. And so um, I think that there's going to be kind of like a rebalancing where you kind of bring it a little bit back to the middle, hopefully, um, that can still maintain the integrity of what college sports is while ensuring that players retain their value and profit off their value. And also, of course, enhance, um, you know, what, what the, what the schools profit from having these types of players, um, because it is the institutions and it is the players. It's a combination of the two and making those decisions, to uh, have players benefit from it, but also the institution to do it needs to have some type of balance. I really love it for women's for women's college players because the opportunities to play professionally in whatever sport there are much less. So them capitalizing on that is great, but I do think that there's a lot of miseducation and ignorance around how that translates to the professional ranks as it pertains to the WNBA. Um, there's lots of players that are making great money in college, but there's lots of players that are also making great money in the WNBA. And I think it's very important to put that out there because no one really reads articles anymore. No one does their research. They just read headlines. And a lot of times those headlines are not fact-checked. And so I just want people to do their education um, on just the reality of things. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting uh, comment, Neka, because there is kind of this perception we're in this era of super seniors, right? Because everyone gets a COVID year if they want to take that. And there's this debate. Uh, do you come back for a fifth year or do you go to the WNBA? And it always is like, you know, Aaliyah Boston decided to, to, to come out. If she had come back, there was sort of this, oh man, she could make more bank at South Carolina than she could, you know, going and playing for Indiana this year. It'll be the same thing with uh, Caitlin Clark or, uh, you know, whoever else, you know, uh, um, is, is due in the next couple of years, you know, who, who played through COVID. Um, mm-hmm. What do you uh, what do you think about 
that idea because it almost professionalizes uh, the women's game in some way if, if people want to come back for a fifth year for reasons other than honing their basketball skills. Right. I have two thoughts on exactly this topic. So one is if you're doing your job, if you are working hard to play at the highest level and to retain those NIL deals and to play at a high level, then when you tr- when you translate that to the league, it should hold true. Um, so if you have NIL deals now, this is where I think that the delicacy of how NIL is handled changes because the markets are very different. But then because we're kind of in the wild, wild west with NIL, I do think that there's an oversaturation of how deals come about. So, you know, there's certain deals that certain players may say no to that other players are saying yes to that. That's basically justifying whoever is offering those deals and they're just kind of getting those deals out instead of really adding intentional value to those deals and certain players. But ultimately, if you're playing at a high level and you have deals, then those deals should also translate. There's lots of players in WNBA that have their own partnerships and deals. And maybe they originated in the WNBA, but that interest was garnered in college before NIL happened. Um, And then secondly, if we're speaking theoretically, you can't stay in college forever. You got to leave at some point. But if you <laughs> but if you want to, you could play in the league as long as you're performing. So even with the COVID years and these super seniors, like, you got to leave at some point. So why not set yourself up to do well when you know you have to leave? Uh, one final question for you, NECA. Uh, this season, uh, you have this so-called super team era of the WNBA. Uh, You've had some years in which you've seen rating spikes. Like, what do you expect, you know, in terms of, what are you hoping for in terms of interest uh, this year in in television ratings? And then just in terms of quality of play and competition, what kind of year should we expect from the WNBA? Um, I mean, I think that, I there's I can speak to what I hope for and what I expect. You know, I expect um, more visibility. I expect easier access to games. Um, I expect a lot of energy around these super teams, even though what I hope for is that people are engaged and also do their history. I think I played on a super team some years ago. I played against a lot of super teams, but this is a new age where a lot of people who are kind of getting accustomed to watching the W probably don't know their history. And it wasn't even 10 years ago that, you know, I played on a team with Elena Beard, Candace Parker, Christy Tolliver. Um, and I played against teams with Simone Augustus, Lindsay Whalen, um, <laughs> Brunson, Sylvia Fowles. Like, you know, I, I've played on teams and against teams where we're, we understand that um, there's so many arsenals on a particular squad But that might have been back in the day where, you know, the competition was a little bit different. So whatever it takes for you to be engaged in the W, roll with it. Let that be your avenue. Let that be your gateway. um, And just make the effort. You know, I I think that a lot of it's easy for people to kind of rest on the stigma of nobody watches and then they don't try just because they want to be cool or they want to sound funny. Um, That's very played out. Um, and I also believe that anyone who isn't getting into it now is going to be, they're going to be left behind in a few years, if not this year. 
Well, that's a perfect way to end it. Uh, we're out of time. We'll leave it there. Neka Agumake, WNBA star, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jerry. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.